Hello, and welcome to the Final Girls podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls and your podcast host. Our current season is all about female monsters, but occasionally on the podcast, we'll cover new films or series that we really want to talk about. And today's bonus episode is all about Ratchet, the new series that has just landed on Netflix and explores the character of Nurse Ratchet, the sadistic, cruel head nurse from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the first first scene on screen in Milos Forman's 1975 adaptation of the book, where Ratchet was played by Louise Fletcher. In the 2020 series, Sarah Paulson plays the titular role now, and the series tracks Mildred Ratchet's journey and evolution from an average nurse to full-fledged monster. The show is created by Evan Romansky, based on a Ken Kesey novel, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and has Paulson in the title role, alongside Finn Wittrock, John John Briones, Judy Davis, Harriet Harris, Cynthia Nixon... Sophia Canetto, Charlie Carver, Corey Stoll, Hunter Parrish, Amanda Plummer, and Sharon Stone. The show is executive produced by Ryan Murphy, creator of many shows, including American Horror Story, American Crime Story, Pose, Glee, The Politician, and many more films and series. Ratchet is the latest addition into what I like to call the Ryan Murphy Cinematic Universe. And who better to discuss it with me than Clarice Lockery, chief film critic for The Independent and my co-host of the American Horror Story Rewatch podcast, The Next Supremes. Clarice, hi. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to talk about this show. (laughs) It feels very weird because we talk about Ryan Murphy stuff all the time. And now we're going to talk about this one as well on a different podcast. Yeah. Which, not to completely spoil my thoughts on the show, um, sort of actually doesn't feel that different at all. <laughs> so, does that? Sorry, does that does that hint at how I how I feel about this <laughs> this series? It's just it's just American Horror Story. <laughs> I mean, that sounds very good to me, as we both know, um, but. I'm excited to dig into what you think a bit more. So what we're going to do is first talk without any spoilers about Ratchet. And then a little bit after the first part of our conversation, uh, we can go into the full deep dive, completely spoilerific conversation for anyone who's uh, completed the, the series of Ratchet. So, you know, you teased it before, but what are your overall thoughts on the series? I well, it's interesting because specifically on the next Supremes right now, we are covering Asylum, the yep. uh, season that is set inside of a, a psychiatric hospital, uh, which is also where Ratchet is set, <laughs> and <laughs> it really feels like Ryan Murphy took all the themes from Asylum and mm-hmm. just went, oh, I I kind of feel like revisiting them. In a mm. in a slightly more grounded, like there's no aliens in Ratchet. I don't know if that's a spoiler. There's no <laughs> there's no aliens. There are aliens in American Horror Story, um, but yeah, it's, it's so many of the same themes. Like uh, there is a cycling of some of the same events and scenes as mm-hmm. in um, Asylum, but it's just like he turned the contrast up because everything is so so bright and colorful in this and. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess taking an influence from their very different uh, cinematic genres or, or styles. Mm. What did you think? Well, I 
wanted to actually talk a bit more about kind of the relationship between American Horror Story and Ratchet, because you're right. And you point to something kind of quite interesting, which is that it feels kind of like a grounded version of AHS Asylum. But it's also it's almost impossible to talk about Ratchet without talking about American Horror Story, because it has a lot of the same cast that Ryan Murphy really likes to reuse um, in American Horror Story and a lot of his other projects, chiefly Sarah Paulson. But it does touch on... It brings in a lot of the things that he's always been really interested in. Um, So I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on what you think, on how you think American Horror Story and Ratchet kind of talk to each other. I guess it's the... There's sort of two avenues that Ratchet goes down and this is for a moment detaching it completely from the fact that this is meant to be an origin story for mm-hmm. the character from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest so let's put that to a side for a second <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's on the one hand it's the idea of of madness and also what marginalizes a person within society I think mm-hmm. Ryan Murphy is very interested in um in in terms of you know you have the characters on this show of of who on this show is considered sane and who is considered insane you know there are there are clear demarcations in in how people treat each other but behind closed doors uh everyone has their secrets <laughs> everyone has mm-hmm. their sort of uh let's say unhealthy habits unhealthy mm-hmm. fixations um so that that line is is constantly blurred both uh on ratchet and on american horror story and then you sort of also have this other storyline um with with the murderer character i guess can we talk about him a little bit is that okay yes edmund tollison yeah, Edmund Tolleson, um, a murderer character who is introduced here and he is um, brought to the hospital for psychiatric evaluation to decide mm-hmm. whether he will legally be declared insane or not. If he's declared not insane, he will most likely be executed, mm-hmm. which is exactly the same plot line <laughs> as happens in, in Asylum. There is also a character on that show uh, Evan Peters' character, uh, Kit, he is also brought in as a murderer to be declared, you know, to be psychiatric, mm-hmm. psychiatrically evaluated to see whether... He- so it's kind of, sort of like, <laughs> it's really strange <laughs> how it's just like the same plot lines. It was the mm-hmm. same plot lines. Um, but I guess that's this is stuff we can talk about in the spoilery section. There are... Uh, yes. I guess where the storylines end up is very different. As in, mm. there are no aliens in this. This is all uh, yes. human. <laughs> let's let's be super crystal clear. There are no aliens in Ratchet. That is not a spoiler. Yeah, I'm, I guess that's the big difference is that in Asylum, you can have all these supernatural influences, the devil and mm-hmm. aliens and, and ghosts and whatnot. In Ratchet... Like everything is a little bit detached from reality because people mm-hmm. are just doing the most uh, <laughs> interesting. People are doing interesting things in this show. <laughs> um, 
but it's always meant to be sort of from a human place. It's a human mm-hmm. action. There's no kind of supernatural interference on Ratchet. But mm-hmm. somehow, somehow it doesn't matter whether there are there's the supernatural, there's not the supernatural, people end up doing the same thing, which is maybe an mm-hmm. interesting commentary on society. And let's go back to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and the character of Mildred Ratched, who is the, you know, the namesake of the series and the protagonist of it. What is your relationship with that character? This is the interesting thing about this show is that I enjoyed it the second I just completely detached myself from the origins of it being One Flew Over the Mm. Cuckoo's Nest because to me... Um, I I really like uh, I really love the film. Um, I mm-hmm. know it's not it's not always it's not aged the best out of mm-hmm. <laughs> all of these classic films. I think its representation of mental illness is a little bit lopsided. Um, but I always thought the character of Nurse Ratched was very interesting because it's this sort of um, I don't know. It's just this representation of of humans like people submitting themselves to absolute authority Mm. and and that's why this show really wasn't necessary I don't need to have an origin story for Nurse Ratched Mm -hmm. I was never curious about her personal life because for me she was just the face of the system she was the face Mm -hmm. of absolute authority um and and the fact that she is I think she's kind of stripped almost of a full human personality in that film. Mm -hmm. She is just this sort of like, take your pills, do this. Like I am Mm -hmm. the hand of the law. I am the hand of the doctor. Um, Mm -hmm. Do as you are told. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what I've always found interesting about that character, which I think this show just sort of (laughs) completely contradicts because it tries to, give her all these layers and say well no it's it it sort of it sort of sees her character more as an active abuser which I never thought of Ratchet as that way I I think Mm -hmm. Nurse Ratchet quite possibly could have gone home at the end of the day and just been like very nice to everyone in her personal life but at work this is her job and it's Mm -hmm. a cruel job and it makes her do cruel things but you know she submits to the system so that's why she does those things I think mm. on this show they 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 try and put forward that message of you know the the cycles of abuse someone who is abused mm-hmm. in in childhood or or suffers a lot of abuse during their lifetime will then often not always but often then go on to inflict it in later life it's sort of mm. a you know and that's the sort of the the truly tragic thing about abuse is that it works in cycles yeah, and you point out something quite interesting there of like the I mean it's inevitable that we compare Louise Fletcher's version of Nurse Ratched and Sarah Paulson's. What I find quite interesting that you mention is that in the film she's sort of almost banal and she's scary because she's so, you know, simple and focused on just doing her job. And you say this thing of like, she has a cruel job and it makes her do cruel things. And it made me think of this idea of the banality of evil of like, I never, when I first saw the film, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I never thought of Mildred Ratched as, or of Ratched really, as, and she's evil, but in the context of that place. 
but it's also almost she's doing the things that she thinks need to be done as part of the job. Whether it's this series really foregrounds the idea of manipulation and of her being a very, very smart and very manipulative person who is planting all these seeds and pulling all these threads. And I was wondering kind of what you thought about this way that they expand the character and especially how they expand it into a person who has manipulation at the heart of everything she does. And it's pretty evident even not just from the first episode, but even from the title credits, I think, you know, this idea of the the rope and the threads that she's that she's pulling and spinning everywhere and how she's pulling people in different directions. I guess, yeah, I, I it is that thing of I, I don't understand how that connects connects to the original character, but I find it interesting. And and to bring it back to American Horror Story, uh, it's sort of it made me think of the character of Lana Winters from Asylum, mm. who's the journalist who is so fixated on getting the story that she 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 suffers all these sort of traumas because and she survives them because she knows that she wants to get to this end goal. Uh, in this show, Mildred Ratchet has a specific end goal that is not clear. Mm-hmm. at the very beginning but you sort of discover it later on and and that is what drives every single one of her actions is because she wants to achieve this particular thing mm-hmm. and so her and Lana Winters are, are almost like I don't know I, I thought of them as, as sort of mirror images of each other and mm-hmm. this sort of we think of Lana as the hero of that show because she was wanting something good and and her goal was ultimately selfless even though I think you you get a little bit of a sense that there is a little bit of selfishness in what she's doing Mm -hmm. she also wants to become the famous journalist who (laughs) uncovered all these abuses at the hospital that she went in to investigate here um it is her goal is mainly selfish but there is a Mm -hmm. selflessness to it and I think those subtle differences I, I explain so much of those two characters. Um, it explains so much of why we see Lana as the hero and why we see Mildred Ratchet as the villain or, I don't know, anti-hero, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if you would call her a villain or an anti-hero in this. But, you know, why one would be good and one would be bad. So I found that interesting. But then I just, to me, that has nothing to do with the character of from the book or the original film mm. and to stay on on ratchet what do you think of sarah paulson in this realm oh i mean she's always perfect <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i almost never know what to say about sarah paulson because she's just always perfect in everything and she's so good at at doing these kinds of characters especially because mm-hmm. Like, if you look at interviews of Sarah Paulson, you know, off screen, she is just like the giggliest, nicest, like kind of a little bit, like she's so lovable off screen. And, and there is, I find her eyes amazing. Like Sarah Paulson's, Mm. she has like the most incredible eyes because um, off screen, it's sort of like puppy dog eye. Like, you know, she looks really sweet mm-hmm. and, and, and lovely. And then when she switches on to play these characters, and she often plays quite manipulative characters, 
um I don't know there's something about her eyes that suddenly it they go really cold um mm-hmm. and and sort of mysterious and 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 sorry I'm talking so much about Sarah Pulse's eyes <laughs> this is a bit <laughs> weird but you know she has these very like dark brown eyes and they're mm-hmm. sort of like these pools of mystery and and you I spent the whole show being like because it, I think what is interesting about Ratchet is it is it's never really clear whether she is being sincere about something or lying about it so that she can achieve a certain goal so I spent the whole show just like trying to to read her face and specifically Mm. like read the look in her eyes of okay what is going on in that brain right now and I think that Mm. is what Sarah Paulson has such like a mastery over is like keeping little secrets like inside of her actor brain and that it sort of comes out in the performance but also she holds it back we'll go in in more detail in the spoiler section of this episode but before we move on to that what did you think of the um, the visual style of, of the series because it's so you mentioned it before it's like American Horse Story but with a contrast dialed up it is extremely colorful and just sort of luscious and every set piece almost every shot is sort of bathed in a particular color yeah I guess it's like I don't know I wrote in my notes it's like you know Douglas Sirk on acid um yeah and it also sort of yeah (laughs) it and it it reminded me a lot of like a Vanity Fair spread because everything about it is just so just aesthetically beautiful Mm. like the hospital is gorgeous I would love to go to that hospital (laughs) it's 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 the prettiest hospital ever (laughs) like no hospital has ever been this beautiful (laughs) Um, (laughs) and luxurious and like every costume like the costumes that they put Sarah Paulson in Mm. with these like perfectly like nipped in waist flare skirts like everything all the proportions are so perfect like everything about it is yeah perfect that mustard suit that she wears it's not a pantsuit it's a it's a it's a skirt that she wears but you know the mustard outfit that she wears yeah. it's been in in some of the She's trailers got a hat as well oh, <laughs> i can't but um before we move on to the spoiler section, because I think we're both gagging to actually dive into um, <laughs> the meat of Ratchet, who do you think would like Ratchet? Um, people just, I, I the thing with Ryan Murphy, I feel like either you're on board or you're not at this point. He's really <laughs> reached this point where there is like a distinctive style. You know, mm-hmm. if maybe back in the Glee days, we weren't so sure what Ryan Murphy was up to, but now it's like, Oh, like it it's it's it is sort of a his own he's created his own genre, which is mm. this sort of interesting mix of camp and horror and fashion and glamour and optimism mm. and sentimentality and darkness and and um so if you I don't know if you if you usually hate Ryan Murphy shows you're probably not gonna like this I don't think it's gonna convert anybody (laughs) Um, but if 
you I think it's mainly if you sort of enjoy something that is deliberately <laughs> kind of out that like it's sort of the thing with Ryan Murphy I always say is that he, I, I feel like he's always deliberately playing with the audience mm-hmm. um, and teasing the audience I feel like he's so conscious of his viewers and and so he both wants to sort of bring them in with all these like really kind of superficial pleasures but you sort of love them all the same so it's it's the fashion and the cinematography the cinematography in this is gorgeous I thought Mm -hmm. like there's some really incredible shots you you have all that you have all these witty one-liners and these like incredible put downs that all these characters have you know you have Sharon Stone is in it she has a monkey (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know th- those are all these sort of like great and 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 superficial pleasures and like just if that's the kind of thing you feel like you'd enjoy then you know go for it watch ratchet <laughs> um but also you know there is this thing with ryan murphy that he likes to to just like i don't he just likes to to fuck with sorry can i say fuck <laughs> Always. Okay. The, the, then there's also this other thing with Ryan Murphy that he just likes to fuck with people. I don't know how else to put it. Like, <laughs> the experience of watching a Ryan Murphy show is that you're sort of, like, just having a wonderful time and then suddenly something's going to happen and you're screaming at your TV, which <laughs> happened to me multiple times during Ratchet, being like, What? What? what (laughs) um and that and that is something that I really enjoy because it's sort of like soap opera we've talked about this on Mm -hmm. our our American Horror Story podcast it is just sort of uh, this new form of soap opera and and if you can enjoy it on that level then great I think he is capable of a lot of nuance at times other times it's it's ridiculous and he he and sorry I always talk about Ryan Murphy shows as if he's the entire author of everything but I I don't know how else to talk about his shows um because they are so distinctive but yeah at other times like his shows just like completely fumble things and fumble themes (laughs) it's it's sort of gloriously frustrating I guess oh Like, I enjoy it. It's exquisitely frustrating. You're like, oh, I love it. And I'm angry. And I, oh, like, that's, that's <laughs> ratchet. That's every Ryan Murphy show. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that went on for way too long. Sorry. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that was exquisitely frustrating. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're ready to move into spoilers now. So for anyone who hasn't seen Ratchet and this made you curious, it is now all on Netflix. Uh, and let us know what you think about it. For anyone who has seen it, now we're going to dive into the, the spoilerific part of the episode. I remember my mother and father, but I can't picture them. You see, I was taken away from them when I was very young and told that someday I would see them again. But that was a lie. The doctors and nurses here, they want to give you hope. 
that one day you can leave here. But you deserve someone to show you mercy. How different I would be if someone had. Looking good today, Meldrum. I don't even know where to start. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know where to start. I want to ask you, what moments made you scream at the TV like you were just talking about? Okay, I want to go straight to the end because the, the moment it. that made me scream the most, and in my notes it's like so many exclamation points and question marks, is is in episode seven. <laughs> it's the moment in episode seven, and we've been we've been through all of these things with Mildred and Gwendolyn, these sort of they're they're lovers they want to be together but they can't for all these different reasons and they're kind of being drawn towards each other and pushed to get pushed away and and it seems like we're really starting to reach a conclusion and then boom she gets cancer out of nowhere (laughs) and it just feels like it just she's like (laughs) i think they're about to run away together and then (laughs) sorry not cynthia it's played by cynthia nixon gwendolyn's like no sorry actually we can't because uh just came back from the doctor i've got cancer (laughs) like what (laughs) like this is such a ryan murphy thing to just like drop it out out of nowhere (laughs) you really thought this is going to be the end of their storyline they were going to run away together things are going to be happy no boom sorry she's got cancer now which wouldn't even really change anything because they can still run away together just like <sighs> sorry i <I'm laughs> really lost my mind over that <laughs> so um i mean yes that that was a moment <laughs> but it brings me kind of to a an interesting point about ratchet which is the way that the show deals with her sexuality which I found, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I found it both interesting and tender at times, especially in her growing relationship with Gwendolyn. And then at times just incredibly, like sort of something that, oh, I don't know how to articulate it. Something that seems to have come from someone who has like, has a very particular image of, Louise Fletcher's performance of Nurse Ratchet, especially in her relationship with the yeah. with the detective played by Corey Stoll, Charles. I was wondering what you thought about the way that the show dealt with with Ratchet's sexuality. Well, I I guess the problem with it for me that I saw was like every sexual or romantic relationship on this show, um like it's complicated messy like what all the other ones have some element of like unhealthiness to them for example like edmund and dolly which is like Mm -hmm. this this the murderer who falls in love with the nurse and then discovers that the nurse is actually like more of a psychotic murderer than he is you know like you know this is the level of sort of romance that ryan murphy is introducing to the show and then into the middle of that you're trying to put this sort of quite yeah this quite like there is a lot of of sweetness and tenderness to that romance of like mm. Gwendolyn really wanting to bring Mildred out of her shell because she's extremely closeted and and trying mm-hmm. to to deal with all these feelings of like 
she's attracted to her but like this is sort of society ingrained part of her that wants to be repulsed by that but she isn't but she feels like she should be and it's sort of cycling through that throughout most of the season but then yeah it's just it, it it's just this is again going back to like this is what Ryan Murphy's about um mm. he he does often try to explore these these very sort of nuanced characters and, and relationships in an environment in which maybe that's not so appropriate mm-hmm. I guess because it 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 just didn't feel with all this other the stuff going on with these murders <laughs> and assassins and all this 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 stuff going around it's like did, did we really have room to to craft this relationship and to give it the the focus and the love and attention that it really deserved yeah, I think that's a really good point way of putting it. And it's also, it's interesting how the relationship with Gwendolyn becomes throughout the whole series, actually the central one for for Mildred. And I was wondering what you thought about her relationship with Edmund, who is the killer that is brought into the um, the mental institution very early on in the season and is quite, I, I want to say in episode two, is revealed to be Mildred's brother and kind of that is the core relationship at the center of it it's kind of her guiding light or her motivation is to reconnect with her brother who's been sort of in the system um kind of going from jail to jail and now had murdered five priests and kind of this massacre and so what did you think about the relationship between Mildred and Edmund. I well, I sort of loved it because it's so extremely gothic to me. Mm. The sort of um, like intense, fervent dedication between. Well, they're sort of they're not actually brother and sister. They're sort of adopted brother and sister, but they have this sort of intense attachments, and it's borderline incestuous, and it's sort of like I'm a huge fan of stuff like Crimson Peak <laughs> which is uh not to to spoil a movie that came out many years ago um you know follows some of those those same themes mm-hmm. and it's a very gothic to, thing to have these sort of weird siblings that are very dedicated <laughs> to each other in a way that you're like hmm? <laughs> it's very flowers uh, in I the attic we have exactly and then I guess we have this reveal that um there was the the abuse in their past which complicates it um a mm. little bit but uh yeah i think just on a uh me being a fan of gothic literature level i was like i'm listening <laughs> <laughs> and what do you think of edmund well we need to talk about edmund we need to talk about Ed. This is the sequel to We Need to Talk About Kevin. We need to talk about Edmund. <laughs> so what do you what do you make of Edmund as portrayed by our mutual favorite Finn Woodbrock? Well, this is the thing. We should be upfront about it. We both just love Finn Whitrock. <laughs> He's been my actor. Like I have this like <laughs> I don't know, there's just like a handful of actors who I always feel like mm why are you not more famous and Finn Whitlock is one of those I just think Mm -hmm. he's great he's always to me what I love about him is he's like a real like 
act, he's like an, an an actor, an actor's actor, like mm-hmm. stage trained, like kind of a bit classical, like always really dedicates himself to every character that he plays. Mm-hmm. Even in La La Land, where he was on screen for maybe like four point five seconds, like he mm-hmm. he became that character of the asshole boyfriend. So I love him, <laughs> um, <laughs> and. My favorite role that he's ever played was is um, season four of American Horror Story, where he plays Dandy Mott, oh, this yes. sort of American Psycho two very spoiled rich boy who becomes a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about Ratchet is when I saw the trailer, I got really excited because I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god, we're getting Dandy Mott again." But there's actually another character on this show, which is the which is Dandy Mott, and it's not the character he plays. It's the one that Brandon Flynn plays, the Henry Osgood, who is yes. the, the spoiled rich boy who also murders people. <laughs> yes. Um, which I don't know. Maybe we can talk about. But mm-hmm. what was what's interesting about Edmund is that y- you he at the beginning of the season he is sort of the the sinister um murderer guy dark mm-hmm. he's like yeah i'm so edgy mm, like don't come near me i might <laughs> stab you <laughs> <laughs> and and finn whitrock like does this like a little bit of this like drawl do you know what i mean he's been mm-hmm. like a yeah yeah like he's really like toughening and trying to be as tough as possible um and like there is no question at all about the fact that he did do the murders because we actually see him savagely murder five priests in a house like there's never a question about whether he's innocent or guilty like he is guilty he is a murderer but you're right like he's trying he's sort of presented almost like a Hannibal Lecter-esque type psychopath who is you know compelled to murder people so it's like you say he's very much at the beginning of the series like ooh, i might stab you might not like a lot of smirking like a lot of little side smiles being like yeah um and and so this is when the dolly character comes in played by Mm -hmm. alice angler who was in the fantastic movie beautiful creatures (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's actually a really bad movie i just love it it's about witches it's like twilight with witches um yes and she was also and, in ginger and rosa which is an actually better movie i'm sorry i immediately <laughs> brought up beautiful creatures um but then they have this weird like sexual <laughs> things going on be- between I them <laughs> let's let's just get it um, out of the way because i recorded teeth yesterday and there was a lot of dick puns in that. So we need to talk about the relationship between Dolly and Edmund, I think. Let's just get it out of the way. Let's get the trash out of the way. There's a penis. <laughs> There's a penis. <laughs> Which I was really shocked because I don't know if I've ever seen a, a penis in a Ryan Murphy show. You see a lot of butts. But I was like, yes. that's a penis. I was like really I felt so like old fashioned like buttoned up like oh (laughs) oh my goodness Uh, I I guess I guess but this is the freedom of Netflix is now you can show penis now Ryan Murphy's he's like I'm gonna get all the penises out (laughs) here we go Netflix can't stop me now (laughs) (laughs) well in 2020 I support this but 
also, I think it's the it's it was not so much the penis that shocked me. It was the fact, the casualness with which Edmund just whipped it out and put it through the bars of this <laughs> underground cage where he's kept as kind of the most dangerous prisoner in the the mental institution. And he sort of convinced Dolly to jerk him off. But it's just this like very suddenly, it's like, oh, suddenly you look down and it's like, oh, wait, there's a there's a dick right there through the bars. It's like right there. <laughs> it was a bedoying moment. It was a bedoying moment. <laughs> like big bedoying. But she seems into it, so Oh <laughs> yeah. It seems like it seemed like they both had fun. <laughs> yes. And what do you think about you know, you mentioned earlier that kind of she turns out to be more of a psychopath than he actually is. So yeah. how does their relationship mirror? the way that we perceive them at first well because she is like little cutie like i'm so sweet and innocent i'm just a nurse with my nice little curly hair and my my little lipstick uh she's always putting lipstick on (laughs) uh so yeah you think that she's like the the corrupted angel who's fallen for the dark the the dark um edgy (laughs) it's kind of like twilight (laughs) but with a serial killer and a nurse um and and then they escape and then it's like ah 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 no for some reason she's really obsessed with bonnie and clyde and she wants them to be bonnie and clyde uh Mm -hmm. and they go hide in the barn and and (laughs) but this is when we just discover that edmund just really likes animals i feel like that's the big revelation about his character it's like he's a real tough guy until he sees a chicken. <laughs> and he's like, oh, look at the little chicken. <laughs> How you are you doing, that little boy? How you doing, you good little chicken? Yeah, you protect that egg. Which flashes forward to, is that the, I think it's the last episode, where the whole way through the season they've been building this barn and then they let Edmund go in the barn and then he just goes ham and all these animals being like, hi, Mr. Porky. How are you doing, Mr. Porky? And that was my favorite scene because it was five minutes of, <laughs> Of Finwit Rock, the, my beloved Finwit Rock, just going around and greeting animals. <laughs> it was so sweet, and like was he was joyous. so into it. Yeah, like this is how much how great of an actor Finwit Rock is. Like he's such a good actor because if you go, hey Finwit Rock, can you just like introduce yourself to all these animals? He's like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then he will deliver like a Hamlet. <laughs> you know, it's like he pretends like this is his Hamlet. And it's like, yeah, I'm gonna introduce these myself to these animals with my entire like heart and soul. And it's such a great scene. And he just really loves animals. But then Dolly is like, let's kill this chicken. And he's like, no. And then she snaps <laughs> the chicken's neck in front of him and he's like, no. Um and then that is where their pairs diverge. Cause they're both killers, but one of them just loves a chicken. Just loves a little chicken, <laughs> little fluffy chicken. <laughs> and Did I explain that well? <laughs> I, I think yes. That explanation was almost as joyous as the scene itself of Finwood Rock talking to the animals. By the way, honestly, if even there if is... you don't watch Ratchet, just fast forward to episode eight and just watch a beautiful scene of a man introducing <laughs> himself to animals. It's honestly, so pure. I. I do not accept that Dr. Doolittle thing with Robert Downey Jr. that came out whenever. Um, I would like, 
I would like to start a petition for uh, Dr. Doolittle with Finwith Rock because I would like to see that very much. Thank you. I would love to see that. Yeah. <sighs> and the way Let's that he happen. like goes down to that, like, he puts like his hands on his knees and he goes down to that when he's like face to face with the pig being like, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. It is it's beautiful. beautiful. It's joyous. And it's you know, so joyous. And what did you make of um I mean Finn is part of the Ryan Murphy as is Sarah Paulson of the ensemble of of actors that he works with quite often in in his projects. But what do you make of the of the new additions to the to Ryan Murphy's ensemble? And I'm thinking especially of Cynthia Nixon, of Judy Davis, Sharon Stone, but also Sophia Canetto, Vincent D'Onofrio. Like the cast for this is rammed with names. I mean, one thing I've always really appreciated about Ryan Murphy's output is that he has such a talent for taking, for, for just calling on really talented people who maybe don't always get the best parts mm-hmm. or maybe have like or maybe are in a point in their career where you know they're not I don't know they're just not working as much or, or being underappreciated I mean I feel like Sharon yeah. Stone is a, a great example of like such a a masterclass talent um but you know I guess she's, it's Hollywood sexism because she's an older woman mm-hmm. she's not you know fronting as many movies anymore and so Ryan Murphy you know is great at calling these people up and saying hey do you want to be in this ridiculous show where you you get you get to play this incredible fascinating character you get all these great lines you get to dress like a goddess you get a monkey um <laughs> how does that sound and every act is going to be like Yes. <laughs> yes, I would like to walk around in silk pantsuits with a little monkey on my shoulder. That sounds great. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and I feel like that's true for a, a lot of the new people. Like Sophie Okonedo mm-hmm. is, she's so, she's so oh, good. my God. But is not being given the gigantic, mm-hmm. like, leading roles that she deserves. I thought her character in this was really interesting. Well, it was really great until the murdering. And then I was like, eh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's a lot, you know, a lot of great sort of meaty monologues for uh, an actor of her caliber to, to to chew on, you know. Hmm. And I wanted to before we go into Charlotte Wells, which is um Sophia Canetto's character. I wanted to say a little bit on the Osgoods, so that's um you know you mentioned the the real Dante mod of this series before which is Henry um, but Lenore who's played by Sharon Stone is just as interesting um, and they're kind of slowly throughout the, the course of the series revealed to be the actual villains of the story um, so what do you make of, of Lenore and Henry yeah fantastic sort of slow burn slow reveal villains because i mean the moment that they're introduced there's something very off about them because they are these Mm. incredibly rich white people who live in this sort of bizarre orientalist i don't know theme park thing their house is just ridiculous it is like the most colonialist um just like filled with 
with tapestries and antiques and, and things and and um yeah <laughs> it's just very it's like extremely orientalist i don't know how else to describe the house it's like um, a museum of cultural appropriation it is a museum of cultural appropriation um and and then Sharon's turn comes in and it's just when she she's wearing all white. I think she wears all white quite a lot mm-hmm. on this this season with the little monkey on her. And she just looks like a Bond villain. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to describe it. She's pure Bond villain vibes. I would love to see her as a Bond villain. I mean, yeah, I feel like she's such an obvious pick. I mean, she's, you know. She'd make me watch Bond movies again. Yeah. She's just makes for a very, very good villain. But it's interesting in this season where they give her kind of like uh, those few scenes to to seem like soft and vulnerable. And and like, you know, she she really genuinely I just really care about my son. And that's why I want um, the this doctor's head on my desk. It's just because I love my son, you know? <laughs> um, and so it's that sort of flip-flop between her trying to position herself as this sort of victimized, um, mm. you know, she's been victimized by by Dr. Hanover and, and you know, she just wants a little bit of simple revenge, but also asking for anybody's head is um, mm. problematic. Probably a red <laughs> Problematic to... To, to a red flag to ask for somebody's head to be cut off and delivered to you like you're some <laughs> sort of like biblical <laughs> ancient queen <laughs> and moving more kind of into the um, the dynamics of the hospital which i've you know the most beautiful hospital in the world and it's the head of the hospital at the moment when the series starts is dr hanover who is also revealed sort of to be kind of a fraud, as is Ratchet. But what did you make of the dynamics between Dr. Hanover, Ratchet, and Nurse Bucket in particular? I really, I really liked that sort of trio because it's, it's <laughs> like halfway between like a love triangle and a, a, rivalry and a power mm-hmm. play um it's like a little bit like the favorite i guess because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. at, at the beginning both of these women are desperately trying to get dr hanover's uh trying to get in his good graces so mm-hmm. they at first are rivals and i really love that episode where um dr hanover starts in because the thing with dr hanover is that he just gets really obsessed with certain treatments and like in one episode he's really into lobotomy and then he's really into hydrotherapy and and when he gets really into hydrotherapy like nurse bucket sort of seizes on it because i guess she sees it Mm -hmm. as this one opportunity to like really really uh impress him because a nurse ratchet is sort of disgusted by mm-hmm. this idea of basically i mean it's basically boiling people alive which is yes horrific i mean all the treatments in this are horrific but yeah. um yeah and and judy davis's performance is so great because it's this sort of little smugness of like oh well this is what the doctor ordered so this is what we're mm-hmm. gonna do um yeah and so i love and then i love how that shifts later in the season where 
we get in a position where Nurse Ratchet is suddenly, you know, she's at the top of the pyramid and she mm-hmm. has power over Dr. Hanover and how that specifically changes her relationship with Nurse Bucket because suddenly mm-hmm. they don't have to be rivals anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's that there's that beautiful scene where they where um there's that beautiful scene where Dr. Hanover rejects Nurse Bucket at the dance. Yes. And yes. says, like, I hate you, you're disgusting. And then that <laughs> Nurse Ratched like goes to comfort Nurse Bucket because even though these women don't particularly like each other, there is this mm-hmm. and Ryan Murphy's so again, this is another thing that his shows are so good at, is is he'll have female characters who who are rivals or who hate each other, but if there are certain female experiences that are universal mm-hmm. and and that mm-hmm. all women are able to recognize that and mm-hmm. and Mildred recognizes that hurt in Nurse Bucket and immediately throws mm-hmm. out all her dis- dislike for her and just goes to her aid and I thought that was really sweet genuinely really sweet moment I completely agree with you that moment especially when she is like she's with Gwendolyn and they're sort of helping her put herself back together and you know when they're and they're redoing her makeup and they're like oh you know put her lipstick on her because it's again the shield of don't let him see you be affected by the rejection it's it's a very it's those beautiful subtle moments in in the show are are kind of those um those chef's kiss moments i think it's the things that keeps me coming back to every ryan murphy production yeah, that's the thing. It's like you, <laughs> there's all this ridiculousness in this show, and then you have a scene like that. And I think almost because of the the height and quality of the rest of mm. the the season, it really makes those moments hit harder. And I felt the same about the little scenes between Mildred and Huck, who is one of mm-hmm. the nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, who's like maybe the only like genuinely just nice character. <laughs> on the show it's just a really like uh, sweet nice guy um who always keeps getting rejected because he has a a war injury scarring on his face um and like there's so many nice moments because that's the thing it's like for all of mildred's manipulations and for all of her little evil doings <laughs> like there are just moments where you you that you know she recognizes humanity and other people and she puts everything aside for a moment just to be real with somebody you know you mentioned it a little bit kind of earlier on but now that we're in the spoilery section one of the biggest reveals of the series is the fact that edmund and mildred went through a horrific cycle of abuse when they were children and it's it's sort of really explained to us in a scene with um puppets which you know personally I find puppets creepy by default so it's kind of the perfect combination to talk about something really horrific that happened in characters childhood and illustrate that with something that's designed to be for children but I think is like supremely fucking weird and creepy so I really don't like puppets. Um, <laughs> what did you think of the of the way that the series tries to deal with this idea of the cycle of abuse? It's it's both interesting and like I found the puppet thing a little bit clumsy because I don't know. It's not to dig too deep. I find it it's a bit on the sort of extreme like. Um, uh, I'm trying to find that not like 
not grotesque, but like, um, ah, <laughs> like a ghoulish. Like I, I found the yeah. puppet thing a little bit on on the ghoulish side, um, which this is again the thing. It's like when you have a show where the tone is sort of generally quite ghoulish, and you're trying to deal with a, a very real and sensitive issue like childhood abuse. It's it's gonna be really hard to hit the tone right which mm-hmm. um i don't think the puppet sequence completely messes it up but it felt a little bit off to me mm-hmm. um just because yeah it is it's puppets <laughs> and puppets <laughs> are kind of a bit inherently ridiculous especially because the way that we get to that scene is gwendolyn like suddenly has like a love of puppets that comes out of nowhere <laughs> a bit like the cancer she's just like i love puppets now <laughs> puppets are my number one passion it just keeps going on about puppets for like a whole episode and so that's like fine let's go see the, this puppet show and then it's like her opportunity to to relive her trauma um just because puppets like one passion. part of her trauma featured puppets <laughs> it's it like that to me was a little bit like Okay, this is this is not the the most um nuanced, like effective way to handle this backstory, but I think the ideas behind it are interesting and and the way as well that it's what this season what we really discover in this season is that our first impressions of both Mildred and Edmund are maybe not quite accurate. You know, Mildred mm-hmm. is both the sort of manipulative, um, evil, uh, little like Rasputin character, uh, <laughs> but also she is like just a really sad lady who didn't get very much love in her childhood at all and and mm-hmm. is sort of just looking for little moments of connection. And that's really, you know, what she sees in Gwendolyn as some chance for, you know for happiness just like a little bit of happiness in her life and um the same with edmund who i guess finds it in the barn with his beloved pig mr porky (laughs) you know he just like these are just two like very very sad people who want some sort of connection in life Mm -hmm. and that is it's that just that nice message of like people are complicated you know Mm -hmm. like these people can both be you know, evil and messed up, and then they can also be kind of sad and and mm. empathetic in moments, and it's good to embrace that complexity. And we spoke a little bit about kind of the the aesthetic of the season, but there is one thing that is very obvious, and it's it's the way that the series references and uses actual elements from previous films. And from the history of film to elaborate on how we're supposed to feel in certain characters. So I was wondering about how you think, what do you think about the way that Ratchet speaks to films and to film history? And there's a number of, I mean, aside from obviously uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, there's, you know, the use of the theme of Cape Fear, which becomes kind of a motif for Ratchet's character. There's a lot of Hitchcock. There's a lot of De Palma in this. There's a lot of Bonnie and Clyde. Um, what did you make of all of this remix of references that the series does? 
I am myself a little bit mixed on it, I guess. Mm. I thought it was very useful in terms of just creating the mood and on mm-hmm. sort of like, again, to go back to this idea of the superficial pleasure of it, it, it creates a certain aesthetic, which is sort of very comforting because like you understand it instantly i think that's the thing with ratchet like five minutes in and you're like okay i know what this is <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I get this world and and everything sort of clicks into place quite nicely but i found the specific maybe i'm just not being intelligent about this but like i was i didn't really understand like the specific use of the cape fear theme I think mm. that's the thing. It was like when you're watching a scene and it would suddenly be like, okay, this is the theme from Vertigo. What mm-hmm. does this have to do with this specific scene? It seemed a little bit random to me and it was more about like, oh, what just sounded nice? <laughs> like what looked good or what, what sounded nice? Mm. I, I don't know if there was really a dialogue. I might be wrong. Maybe I'm just like not connecting the dots here and, mm. and there was a plan behind it, but I, I couldn't see the the dialogue it just felt more like like a pinterest board approach to it Mm. it's interesting because i i felt that way about the vertigo theme but i did kind of um like the use of the cape the cape fear theme because it made me think of max katie as kind of a menacing character and that's the way that the show tried to tries to present mildred through especially at the beginning especially in her relationship with Bucket when she's really kind of quietly threatening to her. So it kind of makes mm. her seem, or I think it was trying to use that that noise as kind of the menacing, um, approaching danger that's hiding beneath a very convenient and very um, soft exterior. Because she's, you know, she's perfectly pleasant. She's perfectly correct. Um, there is nothing on the surface that makes her a threat. But she is in. She is the main threat in the series. She's the one who's pulling all the threads. So I. That's how I read it. Uh, like there's an inner Robert De Niro inside of her. Yes. Or a little, a little, Mitchum. There was one specific thing that I wanted to hear your thoughts on, and that was the use of the split screen, which they use a lot in this series. Yeah, again, I I don't know. I, I, I didn't feel, which I guess is sort of both a Hitchcockian and Brian De Palma mm-hmm. reference, but again, I didn't... I think the problem is because, you know, this is meant to be drawing from One Foot Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and I didn't really feel like it, it drew anything visually from that mm-hmm. movie. Or, um, I mean, I guess their defense is that it's meant to be a prequel to the novel um, mm-hmm. by the, ni- um, the 1962 novel. But, like, obviously in the audience's mind, we're going to be thinking about the, you know, Jack Nicholson and the movie mm-hmm. and Louise Fletcher's Mildred Ratched, um, Nurse Ratched. And I don't know, I, I, I really struggled to connect the dot of like why why reference any of any of these things i don't know like why why do any of this i don't know mm. <laughs> it sounds mm. really sort of pessimistic like it all looked great and and i get that it created sort of the atmosphere of a of a psychological mm-hmm. thriller and by using the sort of 
techniques of the greats of psychological thrillers but you know what beyond that was the significance I think that's where I struggled to latch on to to it and to start wrapping up the conversation about it what did you make of the ending I'll be honest (laughs) I didn't realize that there is going to be a season two um so so we were given preview mm-hmm. screeners of the show to explain a little behind the scenes. <laughs> I thought they hadn't the given us the last. I thought they hadn't given us the last episode because it ends on such a cliffhanger where she's yes. like, "Hey, Finn Whitrock, I'm gonna hunt you down and murder you!" Ha 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 ha! And then it just ends. So I was like, "Wait, <laughs> what?" <laughs> um, I I had the same reaction. I was like, "There's what." How wait? How does this how does this connect to one flew over the cuckoo's nest? Because now she's living her past life with Cynthia Nixon in Mexico, and she's a millionaire. Why? What? But I guess they. I mean, I've read that there was a season two, um, and there has to be a season two after this because I guess season two is going to be her like Thelma and Louising it. <laughs> with Cynthia Nixon. Uh, yes. <laughs> and and hunt down hunt her brother down. He's gonna be like in a barn. <laughs> Just <gasps> hugging a horse. Um he's gonna shoot her brother and then I guess just end up where that's the thing, I don't really know how we get from here to the beginning of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I have no idea. I'm like, I'm curious to see it because now Edmund is on the run with two of the best supporting characters of the series in my opinion louise who's played by amanda Plummer, and charlotte who's played by sophia canedo who we spoke about a little bit and they are both insane yeah and well this i don't because either she kills him and then she's a criminal on the run but why would she go work at a hospital under her real name Exactly. Because option one doesn't make sense. Option two, somehow it ends with her not killing him. But he's not in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I don't believe mm-hmm. there's an Edmund Tolleson in the book. No. So she's like, mm, guess I'm just going to go back to my job I was doing before. I just, I'd, I'd be very intrigued to find out what is the connecting thread. Yes. I want to I wanna see kind of their relationship be resolved because as it stands, they're obsessed with finding each other and killing each other, but also just miles away, but being haunted by one another, which is again kind of coming back to that weird, you know, potentially incestuous relationship that they've got going on. And it feels like one of them needs to go. And frankly, because there is a, there is one flew over the cuckoo's nest. We know it's going to be Edmund. Yeah, and it, it's interesting how quickly their relationship deteriorated. Basically because he found out that she was going to kill him in the barn. And I guess he was like, not in front of my animals. <laughs> this is, sorry, this is like his <laughs> defining character trait for me. Is that he just, he loves a good pig. <laughs> <laughs> um like, I think <laughs> it is just really weird. It is interesting how his character just like completely flips on a dime and he's like 
yeah, I hate you now. <laughs> when really, I, I, I don't know. I guess it was messed up, but she was also trying to do what in the moment she thought was the most humane thing for him because she knew that mm. he was going to be sent to the electric chair, which is, you know, such a horrific way to die. And she thought, well, I could give him, you know, another way, another death, mm. less painful death. But maybe that doesn't look so good. I, you know, I'm not the one being killed in this situation, so maybe I would feel differently if Sarah Paulson was going to stab me in the neck with a needle in a barn. Maybe I'd be <laughs> mad too. <laughs> and what do you think of the what do you think of the way that the other stories are wrapped up for some of the other supporting characters? I'm thinking especially of Nurse Bucket and Huck. And also oh, the Osgoods. Huck. Um, I'm really happy for Huck. <laughs> I yeah. just really love Huck. He's just like a nice guy. He's just like a he... super sweet guy. I want him to find the love of his life. I want him, like, this is what I want for him in season two. He finds the love of his life. He's happy. Aww. He becomes the head of the hospital. I want everything good for him. Um... <laughs> And I'm happy for Nurse Bucket too, but she's no Huck, so. <laughs> no. But she is the head of the hospital now, and she's doing a very good job. So good for her. She's a very good administrator. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this season did a pretty good job of sort of, it's a little biblical in the sense that all the all the particularly, particularly bad characters, I think, got their comeuppance. There's a bit of a, you know, retributional aspect to it. Hmm. And the monkey inherited a lot of millions. Oh, that was my <laughs> <laughs> my favorite character. I take it back. My favorite character isn't Huck, it's the monkey. Because when <laughs> the person reading the will um, says, okay, half of the, half of Lenore's fortune will be going to build some a uh, culture appropriative colonialist museum of whatever and then the other half will be going to the monkey and then Henry <laughs> the son is like oh god damn it and he looks at the monkey and the monkey's like eh <laughs> <laughs> just like jumping up and down being like yeah I'm a millionaire now <laughs> I just like good for that monkey and I hope that the monkey survives and doesn't yes. get killed by Henry. I would be very upset. Because um, he doesn't deserve good things. He's not a nice person. No. Henry Henry can fuck off. Yeah. To finish our conversation, are you excited for season two? Whenever that may come? I am. I am. I'm, I'm really intrigued. Because I do find the relationship between Mildred and Edmund really interesting. Um, you know, I love Sarah Paulson and Finn Whitrock and want them to do as many acting things as possible and do great scenes together. And yeah, I'm just really intrigued as to what I'm intrigued as to whether they will just become enemies now or whether there is mm. some chance of reunification. I think if I can predict what will happen with them in season two. I think at the moment when they reconnect and rekindle their relationship and put aside their um, traumatic rivalry, that's when Edmund gets killed. 
but not by Ratchet, by someone else. Oh. Possibly so the So it's a bit of like a, a, a Raylo situation. Yes. That's a reference to Star Wars. <laughs> He's gonna give her his life for. Sorry, but uh, that's that's a spoiler. Uh, no, for no, no, no spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, cut all of that out. I'm yes. every, mm, Okay, sorry. <laughs> Not um, everyone has yeah. seen the biggest movie on the planet, Clarice. That's true. That's true. But I like that. I like that idea. Because that sounds really gothic and dramatic and like tragic, and I really that's what I want from season two. Yeah, I want lots of like Mm. crying and 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 pulling of hair. Wait, that's like from epic poetry, (laughs) wailing and pulling (laughs) of hair, like in in the Iliad. I want it to be just super dramatic and over the top. I'm excited for that. I mean, I think if that's what you want it's in good hands yeah (laughs) that's the one thing we can trust ryan murphy to do (laughs) um clarice thank you so much for chatting to me about ratchet thank you for letting me chat to you about ratchet so where can um people find more of your work online um just on twitter at clarice lou and and come listen to our american horror story podcast it's it's just more of this (laughs) (laughs) yeah it feels very weird to do the regular outro with you because i'm almost like so what's coming up on the next episode yeah and usually i'll sing a little song but we're not gonna have that today because this is the final girls is not the musical podcast wait wait you're not gonna do a little ratchet song Oh, I haven't prepared one. <laughs> oh, wait, I can do like, hey, Mr. Pokey, how you go? <laughs> You're a good little pig, aren't you? I love you, Mr. Pokey. <laughs> That's um, Finn's ballad to the pig. Ah, oh, Finn's ballad to, the- ballad to the pig. Ballad of ballad Mr. Porky. I'm into it. Coming soon. <laughs> we can include this in the upcoming next supremes album that you that you will be recording yes <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you so much clarice thank you ballad of mr porky <laughs> <laughs>